On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, it's the end of the world as we know it, and we feel fine because Gerard Butler is in the driver's seat. That's right, we're talking his new disaster movie, Greenland. Get your popcorn ready. Your teacher's talking about this comet. Yeah, it's from a different solar system, which is why they don't know much about it. Closer than any comet in history. Look, the sky's on fire. Scientists predict the comet will cause an extinction-level event. They've been tracking the military flights to bunkers in Greenland. Perimeter breach. I'm gonna get my family into that bunker. Seek shelter immediately. Seek shelter. Seek shelter. Greenland. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, at home, safe, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, well represented in today's movie, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing? Doing great. Yeah. You know, it was uh, it was enjoyable to watch a a new movie. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think right off the bat, like one of the things is maybe I wouldn't have paid twenty dollars for it. Probably not. But less than ideal. But. We know people. We have good friends of the podcast. Melanie Figler is out there who we know would pay a premium for a new movie right now in their house. Sure. Versus going to see it in the movie theater or something like that. But yeah, man, uh, finally something new. You didn't do a lot of, I know I didn't do a lot of PVOD during this, you know, whatever we want to call it, the pandemic or the quarantine or what have you. I didn't buy myself a lot of premium movies. Did you? No. I can't imagine you did. Um, And so as we're getting back into the swing of things with the podcast and stuff like that, we saw, lo and behold... Good friend of the podcast, Gerard Butler, has a new movie coming out. And uh, if you know anything about us, it's that we love a good, bad Gerard Butler movie. You know, Geostorm was one of our, I think, one of the highlights of this podcast when we were in Florida together and we went and saw that movie and whatnot. Um, and so when we saw Gerard Butler has Greenland out and it's a disaster movie, I was in. And you suggested it and, this, and you're like, we could do Greenland and I'm in. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got Gerard Butler. It's got uh, Morena Baccarin. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. I have never gotten her name right. Um, it's got Roger Dale Floyd. It's got Scott Glenn. Uh, David Den- Denham? Denman? Denman. Uh, Roy from The Office is in it. Um, I mean, Holt McCallany, who if you guys have watched, if, if, you, if are any of our good movie buddies out there has watched uh, Mindhunter. You know Holt McCallany. Uh, He's in there as well. Um, And we had a good time with it. You know, he's he's working with a director, Rick Roman Juan, Juan, I think, um, who he's worked with before. He worked with it as Angel Has Fallen. And I want to talk a little bit more about him in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, uh, we, we had, I mean, a similar viewing experience. We both bought it. We both rented it at home. But you and I are at different points in our life now. Yep. In terms of like you are married, you have three sons. Uh, I am single and and 
doing just fine. Mm -hmm. um, and so we came at watching this movie from a little bit different. And I wanted to talk with you first about, because you brought it up and I actually found it really interesting, but I wanted to talk with you first about how you kind of viewed this movie as a husband, as a father. Because clearly these disaster movies oftentimes are about I got to get to my loved ones. I got to save sure. them. It's it's not enough that I got to survive the world exploding. Mm -hmm. Right? It's I mean, look at all of them. Look at uh, the Roland Emmerich ones. Look at 2012, where you got John Cusack running around trying San to Andreas. save. San Andreas. San Andreas, exactly. Uh, Day After Tomorrow. All of them have, like, the family unit mm -hmm. trying to come together in the face of uh, adversity, for, for lack of a better word. So how did you feel watching this? Because they go through through some shit in this movie. Non-spoilers, of course. Sure. Well, so I I rented it off of Amazon. Okay. So I just did Amazon Prime and uh, rented it on there. Watched on my laptop. Okay, as, as um, the directors intended. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, had I had a different situation, so we don't have a TV in our bedroom. Uh, purposely. So had I been in normal circumstances where maybe I could have free of distractions, I probably would have put it on our, our TV. Sure. Uh, watched it there, but went with the laptop, watched it late at night, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I will say there is that added layer when you have kids, at least for me, my experience. Yeah. You know, I used, obviously we've watched thousands of movies over the years and and it's not unfamiliar for you know the family dynamic to be center of a disaster movie like you said right and you know you don't really think too much of it um some movies are better at connecting you to that family and and making you buy into you know some of the the drama or that that surrounds them and the desire but i feel like it hits a little bit more when like you have your own kid and it's easy to place yourself in that situation sure uh does it like when you say i feel like it's different you mm -hmm. you feel that because it was different for you yeah clearly. absolutely so like how like did it did it just when it hits you different like does it just make you sadder does it make you more stressed does it hit the anxiety a little bit more uh how how does yeah, it affect I, I you i think i think a combination of all of them i think for me it's like you can easily picture yourself in that situation and your kid. And like when you have a kid, it's like, you know, everybody always, you always hear it or people always say it, but like you literally do anything for your kid. You sure. sacrificed you for your kid, that kind of thing. And so like when you picture it and you see it and you see like a father trying to be there for his kid or helpless to help his kid or whatever the case may be, whatever situations we obviously get put in plenty of times, you know, you, you identify with that and you can feel that. And it's, uh, you know, you recognize and can maybe feel that pain a little bit more that stress that they're feeling a little bit more and identify with that. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a different experience. Obviously, you know, that's why it's used time and time again, sure. because it's an effective way to connect with people. But it's because we can all, uh, you know, anybody who's had a kid can identify with right, it right. Um, from that standpoint. So um, it's it feels like maybe it's and this isn't a knock on on doing it, but it feels like it's an easy way to connect. Like you don't 
like you say father son like you don't have to there's not as much work that has to be done to make you care about that for people to care about that relationship well especially because all men in this world have been a son. Sure, absolutely. Like, sorry, whether it be a good or a bad son, whether yeah. it be for a minute or for a lifetime, like, spoiler alert, like, you are a son. Yeah, so. and that's where I think, like, maybe you don't see, and this is just spitball and random thoughts here. Sure. But you don't see as much in, like, say, and you see plenty of it, but you think of, like, a lot of horror movies instead of going to, like, the family dynamic, it's, like, group of friends right or like group of strangers or like you know things like that and Mm -hmm. it's like there's not as much stress in that like you have to build up more the relationships maybe it's easier to like knock one off versus like knocking out a family member you know like (laughs) they're never going to be the same like sure it's the family unit to some degree yeah it's the design of the movie right every movie is a psychological you know um it's a psychological miracle, sure. honestly, the way that movies are put together. But you're absolutely right. Like, people don't go to horror movies to get emotionally invested in the characters, although occasionally it happens. Sure. And it's great, but most people go to horror movies to watch, you know, like slasher movies. Most people just go to watch the kids die. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to, like, sit there in a slasher movie if it was, like, parents and their, like, eight-year-old kid and they're five-year-old kid and be like, oh, they just got hacked apart. Like, yeah, it happens. It absolutely happens. Scream, you know, and this is... Well, and there's some of the more, like, cringeworthy movies to some degree are the ones where, like, kids are victimized in some of those movies. But for this particularly, for disaster movies in general, there is a tangible thread or line that you can draw from this end of the world scenario to why loved ones are so important. Yeah. You know, in every disaster movie ever made, well, I don't want to say every one of them, but there is some type of core relationship, you know, right there. You look at Dante's Peak, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's um Linda Hamilton and her kids. You know, going to get grandma from the mountain. With Volcano, it's he's got a daughter. Tommy Lee Jones got a daughter. With Deep Impact, it's about connecting with your family members. With Armageddon, it's all about family. You know, mm-hmm. with all of these, it's family, family, family. Because that is something that works in a scenario like this. Because you, as a person, are challenged well, to it, think like, oh, what would I do? Well, and if it's the end of the world, who are the people you're going to care the most exactly. about? Your family and your close friends. Exactly. Like, those are the people that you're going to run to to try and save right right so when i watched this i mean obviously i didn't have the same type of emotional connection to that particular part of it and and we'll talk about how effective that all is but i I rented this through my apple tv and i watched it on my i mean i got a 50 inch television good sound um and it was good like i enjoyed it was it as the same experience as being in a movie theater and being locked in and devoted to the movie for two hours. No, it's not. It's just not the same. You know, I can go on Twitter. I can go on and look up the cast really quickly. I can go to the bathroom. I can do all these you things. I can pause. The, I hope you do that in the movie theater too. I've been with you in enough. Oh, I go to the bathroom. I mean, you go to the bathroom. But there is <laughs> there is a difference. I am somebody who 
I am weirdly, and, and not to get too deep into this conversation, I am weirdly anti-pause, especially for a first-time viewing. If you've seen a movie before, pause it, you know? Um, but I have very weird pause habits. Like, so, I don't pause in the middle of a scene. I wait till the scene is over. So did you, uh, did you just let it run while you went to the bathroom at home last well, night? Well, if we really want to talk about it, I got a straight view, uh, clear view <laughs> from the bathroom to the television. We're not going to get too far into this, the logistics of it. Needless to say, didn't have to pause. Anything. Okay, okay. Um, but, like, I believe, like, when you are watching a movie, you are being told a story. Mm -hmm. And... A story is more effective if it is an unbroken story and you let the momentum of the story carry you. Mm -hmm. You let the, in this case, the anxiety, the, the, um, the desperation carry you through a story. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Right? And it'd be the same thing as if I was telling a scary campfire story and then everyone was like, all right, all right, hold on, five minutes, let's get the s'mores out. And then, okay, finish the story. Not a very effective storytelling method. That's just my general view of pausing for a movie you've never seen before. See, like, if I can get you locked in for the entire thing, I feel like it will be a more effective, more emotionally resonant movie-going experience. See, and people would counter you with, aren't you the one that reads what happens beforehand? Right. So you already know it's going to happen. Right, so. but... My, so, oh boy, I thought this was going to be a shorter episode too, but we're going to go. So that is about what happens in the story, mm -hmm. right? And I have long contended that it is not about what happens in the story. It is the way that the story is told. I know, and this is just me. This is my personal opinion. And I know you and I disagree with my personal opinion. Obviously. But, but. What happens in the story doesn't matter. Like when I read spoilers, like if I read mm -hmm. spoilers for I'm trying to think of a, a movie that's older that I won't piss anybody off with. But if I read spoilers for, you know, any movie, mm -hmm. all I'm being told is what happens. I'm not being told the dialogue. I'm not being told the direction, the music, the acting, any of those things that elicit an emotional response. I'm just being told this happens and this happens and this happens. And there's no emotion in that at all. It's just information. But a movie ties in all of those factors to bring you in emotionally to a movie. So when you pause a movie, it's not about what's happening. It's about how it's happening. It's about going from one scene to another, seeing the desperation on somebody's face that is really important to me. Um, but I get it. Like, spoilers aren't for everybody, and that's fine. I'm somebody who doesn't like surprises, you know? That doesn't mean I can't be emotionally invested. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, was, it, I watched it from home. And honestly, there was so much... Um, uncertainty about what movies are going to be next year. And there still is. But there's so much of it that I really didn't want to buy new movies. I really wasn't excited about the new movies that route to buy. Like, do I really want to spend $20 on The Crudes 2? Yeah. Negative. You might <laughs> because you got you have the target audience living with you. No, I can show them Crudes 1. Yeah, you don't even need to. Really care. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. But but yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. So and what's nice is that next week, you know, we're gonna get to see Wonder Woman 1984. It's gonna be in theaters, 
We will gladly pay money to go see it in theaters. But, like, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, everybody who has HBO Max can watch it the same day. And I can't deny that that's cool. Like, I can't deny that it is cool that more people will have access to a thing. I just put a lot of – I invest a lot in how that thing is consumed. And I think that it's just lesser for that. But whatever. Um, so with all that being said, we just kind of talked about – like our our reaction to, to 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 the purchasing the movie and viewing the movie, but let's go non spoilers into the movie itself. And if you've watched a trailer for it, this is an asteroid disaster movie, mm -hmm. and it has Gerard Butler as John Garrity, and um, you know there's some family strife, there's some strain between him and his wife, uh, Marina Bakarin, and. They got to fight to survive. Mm -hmm. They got to escape to the titular Greenland. Um, if they have any chance of surviving, this comet, this asteroid, what have you, that is going to come and hit Earth for an extinction-level event. Um, so non-spoilers, David. What, obviously, it's a disaster movie. But what did you think? I liked it. So I think one of the things that it does... And he kind of hinted at hinted at it in the the re, the kind of recap or synopsis of it is that it focuses a lot kind of on the family dynamic, and that's obviously where we talked kind of my experience with it, right? Um, but it also stays pretty realistic. I feel like obviously we're talking about a disaster movie, so there's always going to be some lack of realism to it, right. and you know I'm sure people who are involved in the various whether it be the military or other things would could poke holes into it. I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of things that you could debate in there. But overall, like, it feels pretty realistic. Like, the, the timeline of events, and we'll get obviously into that a little bit more in spoilers, right. feels like, like you could connect with it. Like, you could see this actually happening. Right. Um, and unfolding the way in which it unfolds. Exactly. And the way that it escalates and the way they create tension and the way characters in the movie react and that it all seems to kind of jive. And so um, for that, I think it makes it maybe a little bit easier to connect to because it doesn't feel far-fetched. Like you don't feel... And maybe that's even where the emotional weight maybe comes in too. Sure. And the anxiety that it builds up is because it's not... You're not getting pulled from it because it's like geo storm where you're like oh we're in space in five minutes yes. or like oh there's two super secret shuttles that we've managed to put this shuttle mission together in a week when shuttle missions take years to plan exactly like oh we're gonna train this team of oil riggers right. to become astronauts there's no in a course of there, there's no like there's yeah and i agree with you like i read uh richard roper said it takes a War of the World approach yeah, with Spielberg's War of the Worlds, the way that it focused purely on Tom Cruise and his family and the way that they frame the action to just be what the family is viewing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no cut to the military professionals. How did we not see this? There's no cut to the president. Yeah. There's no, it's literally just framed within the immediate vicinity of these family members. Yep. And that makes everything infinitely more effective and scary you know and stressful yeah um which is really good absolutely so yeah i i enjoyed all of that 
you know, we, we'll poke a little bit of holes in some of the uh, sure as as every good disaster movie can be. But uh, <laughs> overall, I, I I felt like it didn't feel too long. Yep, it felt like it was. I, I can't remember what the runtime was on it's it. It's just think, under two hours. Just it's under like two 159 hours. One fifty nine or one fifty eight. But it didn't seem to lag. Like there weren't any, you know, places where you're like, right. okay, let's keep this moving. Like right. it paced pretty well and and so yeah it was it was good like 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 we said i don't know that i would have paid twenty dollars for it or would i would recommend people to pay twenty dollars for it right i don't know it's tough tough to recommend maybe if you're desperate for a new movie like we were right but but i enjoyed it i think you you said something really interesting which is the pace of it right Mm -hmm. and like I guess this is a minor spoiler, but like you guys know these movies, they don't make it to Greenland in the first 20 minutes. Like, oh, let's go. And then they're there. Like it is about struggle and it's about Mm -hmm. strife and it's about the obstacles that get in your way in your effort to survive. And what I liked about this movie so much is that it was realistic, but it was almost the perfect level of obstacle. It wasn't something that was just too easy to overcome, but it also they didn't raise the stakes too high to make it so desperate and so uh, um, unbelievable of what they had to get through Mm -hmm. in order to survive. Everything made sense. All the little action scenes, all of the beats in which we go down, everything makes sense. Everything presents a new challenge. And then when that challenge is overcome or move on from, it's satisfying, you know? It's satisfying the way that this movie shows both um, the terrible nature of humanity, but also the greatest parts of humanity. You know, the people who would take advantage of a situation like this and just raise all hell and the people who would be the helpers and stuff like that. And I really like the way that it did this, did all of that too. Everything felt very realistic. Nobody was dumb. Nobody did a dumb thing in this movie. And that's usually what you see is like, People doing really dumb crap and b- making it by the skin of their teeth because they're doing dumb crap. And this movie, everything makes sense. Everything is like, yeah, you you didn't you forgot this thing. Go back and get it. You oh, you left a note. Like this is smart decision making at play, and I appreciated that because it makes you care for the characters even more. It doesn't take you out of the movie. Um, obviously, Gerard Butler. Well, what can we say about Gerard Butler? I think Gerard Butler is now crossed over into an underrated spectrum. Okay. Because, I mean, let's let's be honest. He does not make, like, great movies. He's not going to be winning an Oscar. He's not going to be critically acclaimed or what have you. But this guy churns out solid stuff. And I'm not talking about Geostorm. Geostorm is dumber than a bag of hammers. Like, <laughs> that movie's dumb as shit. But the, and while I am somebody who enjoys White House Down more, shout out to him for getting a Has Fallen franchise that they can crank out at like $40 million a pop and they make $250 million worldwide. Like, that's a, good business. Got a fourth one coming out. Got a fourth one Night coming out. Night has fallen. Same director um, as this, too. And I really, I actually really enjoyed Angel Has Fallen quite did a bit. Did you? I did. I feel uh, like you didn't enjoy the first first one. Well, you, the were problem, always, you were always a Jamie Foxx president. Uh, that's the thing. President. The problem with the first one is that it has to be directly compared to White House Down. And I felt mm. like White House Down was the 
was the better diehard clone, number one. And number two was just more fun, you know? It, it was just more, I don't know, it's just more fun, more interesting. Um, and I didn't think Olympus Has Fallen was as fun or as interesting. Mm. But that being said, like, Olympus Has Fallen, and also London Has Fallen is not great, and mm. it is borderline racist. Um, but, like, Gerard Butler's stabbing dudes in heads. Like, how, can, how, how mad can I be, you know? But, like, with this, this movie right now, has 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, which Rotten Tomatoes is, you know, how we feel about Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. But this movie's being well-received because it's effective, because it's a tight little thriller. Um, and not for nothing, but, like, you, have you, I don't know, have you, I would be shocked. I'm kind of scared to ask this question. Have you seen Den of Thieves? Yeah. Okay. I'm a big Den of Thieves fan. Mm -hmm. Like, that movie is not heat. It is, like, heat's, uh, punch drunk, stupid, trashy <laughs> cousin, but it's awesome. And Gerard Butler is part of what makes it awesome. And so, like, Gerard Butler is kind of like dollar store version for me of like DiCaprio, where I'm interested in what he's doing. Oh, okay. there's a new Gerard Butler action movie coming out. I'm interested. You know, it's not on the level of a DiCaprio or of a Denzel or many of the other directors and actors that we have talked about on this podcast where whatever they do, we're interested. But it's kind of the same thing. He kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of like a Bruce Willis in the sense yeah. that, and, and mostly because he's taken a lot of the same similar career choices from right. the type of movies he does. You know, does a lot of action. He's usually kind of that like, Cocky, yeah, you know, gruff every gruff, man, somehow every in man. every man, no matter what. Yep, exactly. He's, and, a detect and, he's a police narcotics detective, but he's an every man. And even when he's like the family man and isn't like, you know, beating up bad guys and all that kind of stuff, he's still very capable yes. of handling himself right. from that standpoint. So, yeah, I think uh, there's not a whole lot of. Gerard Butler movies that I haven't uh, haven't enjoyed. He's got the the animated franchise too that he's been in. With he's got, uh, he's got the How to, How to Train, Train Your Dragon, Dragon money, getting that DreamWorks money. Mm -hmm. Like, good for him, man. Like, not everybody needs to be a global superstar, but Gerard Butler is a. I mean, he is a global star. Like that dude puts butts in the seats. Mm -hmm. I think this movie. Now, granted, like this movie hasn't been in a bunch of theaters, but I think it's already made something like forty or fifty million globally because. Other countries have movie theaters open because, you know, they manage the pandemic and whatnot. Um, but it's also like this movie is in the top three of PVOD uh, with Tenet and Cruise. Like, good, okay, well done, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, the, you know, not to just talk about Gerard Butler, but everybody does a good job. You know, Morena Baccarin does a com an incredible job at just being distressed the entire time and being this distressed mother but she's never she never doesn't seem capable either she's not so distressed that she's dumb mm -hmm. which i appreciated the kid is really good in it all of the people who show up here and there for their brief little moments are good in it um so yeah like i enjoyed it a lot i thought the performance is really good i thought the director rick roman juan which is just a weird name to say um like you said, this guy was a former stunt guy. He did stunts in some of our favorite movies, like when we were younger. Like he did stunts 
all the way going back to Tango and Cash and Days of Thunder, but he did stunts in Hook, he did stunts in Last of the Mohicans, Last Action Hero, whatever, and then he's slowly been building up a little bit more of a directorial resume here. He did uh, Snitch with The Rock, early, mm. early The Rock movie. Um, he did Shot Caller, which if you're in the know, Shot Caller is like a low-key, like, badass movie. And then he's kind of now saddled up with uh, Gerard Butler. And these stunt guys make good action directors because yeah. they know what it takes. I mean, that's why the John Wick franchise is so effective. And that's why those two directors have spun off into being like legitimate action, you know, blockbuster directors and stuff like that. So I want to give a shout out to him because, you know, he's working with these. This is not Shakespeare. You know, but he's making effective action movies with good action and good, like legible, understand, understood action, well directed, well choreographed. And that goes same for here as well. The way that he uses perspective and the way that he keeps the perspective on the ground with the family makes everything more effective, makes the, you know, crumbling of society more effective, makes more every asteroid hit that happens and the way that we don't see it. You know, we see it on the news mm -hmm. and it's like this city's gone. And it's like, man, that's all scary and effective. So I enjoyed it. I definitely I definitely liked it. I liked I thought that because it didn't have the spectacle, it did have enough, though. It had enough action. It had enough personal action, had enough destruction in it. What did you think of the destruction? I think the first asteroid hit was one of my just again. And this is not too many spoilers, but seeing things unfold on the news via a TikTok video mm -hmm. or via like a news chopper video is just like effective. Yeah. And I really like that. What about you? Yeah, I think it gives again, it comes back to kind of that realism. Like if you were suddenly in the midst of something like this happening like you're not going to get those different perspectives like the above the city view or things like that. Like you're going to see whatever view the news is putting on. You're going to learn about it through, you know, those different social media platforms. And so you kind of feel like as a viewer watching the movie that you're finding out and learning more and more and seeing more of its destruction through the lens of the character. Right. Versus, you know, you have, you know, things that the character doesn't know in the film and I think it's really effective like I said in making it feel a lot more realistic and allowing you to even connect in with the characters and what they're going through because a lot of disaster movies just have that desire to like show you all over earth and yeah. everything that's happening I want to blow take up you, Paris take you places where our characters aren't and you know just give you that front row seat to right. all of the special effects and CGI they're using so um, I think this was pretty restrained in it. I think um, it did build up. I think War of the Worlds is is a really good comparison to it. Yeah. And, and the way that you kind of see the visuals um, happen in front of you. So I want to get a little bit more into spoilers. I want to get more into the specific scenes and situations and, and talk about this kind of stuff. But before we do, we got to give our popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. 
Now, if you've never listened to an episode before, uh, we do ratings a little bit differently here on the Popcorn Diet. Instead of giving one, two, three, four stars or, or anything like that, thumbs up or thumbs down, anything like that, we like to give it a popcorn rating. And we have a, a sliding scale of popcorns. Burnt popcorn means a movie is garbage. Don't waste your time. Don't do. Don't even watch it for free. It's burnt. It's trash. Don't waste your time. Then we have stale popcorn, which is not great. Uh, if if you're absolutely desperate, I guess you can watch it, but it's stale. It's it's not what you want. In the middle, we have microwave popcorn, which is fine. There's uh, good microwave popcorn can be really good and really satisfying, but also. If you're looking for something specific, maybe microwave popcorn isn't going to hit that spot. So microwave popcorn is fine. And then we have movie theater popcorn, which is, you know, if you can do it safely, if you're in an area with open movie theaters, you know, maybe consider doing it safely, contributing to your local movie theaters and going to see this on the big screen because it'll be worth it. And then, of course, perfect popcorn, which means... Don't waste any time. Go out and see this movie as quickly as you can because it's a blast. And if we ever find ourselves in between any of those, we just like to add a Coke. A Coke is our is our version of our of a of a half a star or soda is our version of a half a star. So for Greenland, David, let's take out the twenty dollar PVOD rental. Let's take out the pandemic. Let's try mm-hmm. not to include that when we do our ratings. What is your popcorn rating? for greenland for me i think i i think i'm gonna give it movie theater popcorn it's it's kind of in between microwave and a coke and and movie theater popcorn so maybe mine is subconsciously influenced by you know that enjoyment of seeing something new again yeah Uh, with that being said i think everything in the movie works and i think there's no Terrible performances, like all the performances are solid. Uh, the action and the the like we said, I think a lot of it comes down to disaster movies. Pacing plays a big role. Like, sure, if you feel like you're moving along really quickly and the anxiety level is kept up, like it makes it a a a stressful watch at times, but also it makes it, the movie go quick and. Sure. And you're excited to see kind of how we get to the end of this and what the end even is. I mean, that's always what's lingering over you right. in a disaster movie is is the disaster avoided. Do they survive? Uh, I think disaster movies are a genre where you're not just like a horror movie where you're not guaranteed that everybody's going to survive. And so right. um, I enjoyed following through this. And so, yeah, movie theater popcorn for me. I agree with you. I think it's movie theater popcorn as well. I'm I'm tempted to add a soda onto it just because it is very effective and because I love disaster movies and because I, I really appreciated the way that they used scope and scale and perspective to tell this story. Um, I'm with you. Like I think that if you're looking for an effective um, gripping, entertaining movie. Like it's not dour. It's not most of these disaster movies are popcorn movies. You know, most of them are supposed to be these these kind of bigger budget, big crowd movies. And I think that this movie is able to still maintain that identity whilst challenging the viewers and making things a little bit more stressful and a little bit more realistic 
than your your average big budget disaster movie. So I'm going to go movie theater popcorn as well. I'll leave the soda off of it, but I thought it was really enjoyable. Now, we're going to talk a little bit of, you know, about spoilers and whatever, but before we do, we're going to take a quick little break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. And we're back. All right, spoilers, David. Now, where do we want to start with spoilers? We want to just talk about, like, our favorite disaster moments. or fa- Like, what were some of your favorite parts of this movie, if we can get into the specifics? Yeah, and I think that's the challenge when you have a movie that's like this and it is very realistic and they're not going in the spectacle and it's meant to, you don't have this ordinary dad doing these like crazy feats or anything like that. Right. It's hard to have like, like you're not going to have that action scene where it's like, oh my gosh, that fight scene was amazing. Right. And you're not going to have that like, oh, that disaster aspect was was crazy because like, oh, you don't you when don't, the volcano exploded it was cool or when the tsunami came it was cool or exactly it's not that's not this kind of movie exactly so i think for me i think the the scenes and the and the parts that i appreciated the most is i think just kind of the journey that that you went on with gerard butler as far as how his his character progresses through this disaster. Yeah. Um, and it's not like anything like hugely obvious. It's not like he changes from like one person to another person, but right. you see like how the different things that happen affect him. Right. You know, um, you see how, um, when he's riding on the truck and he learns about kind of why people were selected. Right. And, the guy who tells him and gives him the advice as far as you should go up to Canada, you know, and get on this plane. This mm-hmm. is another way to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, when he dies, it's almost like, and and obviously when he puts the hammer in the guy's head, which he like straight like normally, like I just said, was like Gerard Butler's like normally stabbing dudes in the yeah. head, no problem. Still gets a head stab in. Shout out to to the director for still getting a head stab in, but he's a regular guy. Like he's traumatized by it. Yeah, exactly. And you feel that trauma. And, and I think like in a, in a horror movie or in a thriller, like you might be like, Oh, right. like, but I think you were more like, Oh my God. Oh shit. Like it just got real. Yeah. And like you see him washing the blood off his hands. But like, I think in my opinion, at least later when they're, when you start getting tons of the comet fragments uh-huh. coming down and they drive into the woods and they're trying to get under the bridge and he sees the person in the car, like 
to me, I kind of felt like that was his, like, I took a life, like, I'm going to try to save a life type yeah. of thing. Also, and like, like, the fact that he lost the the, uh, the other guy on the truck, that yeah. he died. And it's like, there are good people out there. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I need to do my part. People have done their part for me. Like, right. Um, and things like that. And so, like, him kind of going in there, even with his family there, mm-hmm. you know, because most of... A lot of times people are focusing on their family, saving their family. Even most of his motivation thus far, like, was about protecting his family, getting his family to safety, as right. it should be. But, like, that was a moment where, you know, he departs his family to go help someone. Right. Um, and I think that's something that maybe in the beginning he wouldn't have done, even when you see him in the neighborhood and the his neighbors are pleading to him right. to take their daughter with him. And, you know, he says, no, I'm not saying like Gerard Butler later in the movie might have actually taken the daughter. Right, because they it wouldn't have like ultimately that would they wouldn't have accepted. The exactly. Daughter. Exactly. And and now you would have had someone that can't come with you. Right. So um, I enjoyed kind of that evolution of of his character. Um, obviously, I'm always going to be a fan of, you know, Canadians saving the day and uh, and uh, <laughs> getting getting them to Greenland in the end. At but the uh, end, yeah. But yeah, I, that I, was so funny when you said that earlier. What, uh, I didn't associate that they were Canadians, but you know, absolutely. And and I will say, like going back to the realism, a lot of times, like I feel like time frames are just thrown out there in right in movies. Uh, but I appreciated because I actually looked it up while I was watching it. You know, case in point, an example of video on demand versus there you go. But I looked up and from Lexington, Kentucky, which is where her dad's farm was uh-huh. to the Canadian border is about five and a half hours. Okay. Um, and they made it seem like it was a little bit into Canada because they said it's 12 hours away, but we could do it in nine. Right. So like we're, we're within the time frame as far as that yeah. goes um, of what Lexington, Kentucky really is to, to Canada. For right. I mean, and then like, you know, you got to consider traffic and all that kind of crap too. Well, especially but when there's a disaster, especially when there's a disaster and stuff like that. Um, I'm with you. I think some of my favorite parts were the, 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 the flashes of the destruction. Like there are several points in the movie where the characters look, look up at the sky mm-hmm. and they see like meteors coming in and breaking apart. And it's done in like a majestic, like awe inspiring way, but also like scary. And when Tampa, when they wipe Tampa off the map at the very beginning, tough, tough, tough draw for Tampa. Tough being, look for Tampa. Being the uh, the first one knocked out. Real tough look for Tampa. The way that like, the way that all plays out, and it's like the oh the meteor's gonna hit, and we have cameras in the ocean, and well where is it? Why didn't it hit? And it's because either I don't think they ever really ever clarify if it's because the government screwed up and the people screwed up or they hit it mm-hmm. because um, they only start getting those emergency notices like, what, 30 minutes before it hits. The first one hits, Which yeah. seems an awful lot like, oh, shit, we miscalculated this badly. Yeah. Because it's supposed to hit out in the ocean somewhere and then they cut to the news shopper and it just hits Tampa and just Tampa goes up. And I just was thought that was really effective in the way that the – the the thing the the shock wave hits even mm-hmm. all the way up in wherever they are Virginia or what have you like that's all really effectively done um how do you think directors or writers decide which city 
bites the dust first? So that's a really interesting question. I think it's I think there's one of two ways you can do it. The first is if you are actually planning out logistically how this would work sure. out and what the most realistic screw up scenario would Obviously. be, right? Yep. So it's like, okay, it's gonna hit the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if they got it wrong by like five percent, where would that meteor hit? Mm -hmm. You know? And also based on where their location is, how in trouble would they be? Because, like, if you're living in Atlanta and it hits Tampa, like, you're screwed. You're done. You, you just went up in, like, 200-degree flames. But where they are, they just get hit by a shockwave, you know? The other answer is, like, he hates Tampa for some reason. Like, maybe the Tampa Bay Rays knocked out his favorite baseball team from the playoffs or something like that. Like, that's why... Most sports writers write their movie like that's why Celtic Pride got written. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why a lot of sports movies about uh, sports towns and stuff like that get written is because the writer's a fan. You know. Yeah. Also, um, they were living in Atlanta, so. Oh, they were living in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, now I thought. But Tampa's Tampa's a good like twelve hours from. That's Atlanta, fair. That's fair. So. Maybe I misjudged it a little bit because they did get hit pretty hard by that shockwave. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that. I keep thinking it was the nine mile one, but it wasn't the nine mile one. So which one? Uh, so what? What city? If you were making a disaster movie, would you have? Um, I mean. Wow, that's an excellent question. Based purely on like my sports fandom, it's either San Antonio or Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, so like you're, those two, you're taking out your sports frustrations. I'm taking out it? the Spurs immediately, okay. and I'm taking out Lakers fans immediately. Like they, you are punished. Okay, for that. Um, but also, like, there's a part of me that would want to pick some random area because that might be more realistic. You know, because you, you want, want pick, like Tucson, Arizona. Or yeah, something? like no, but like you pick some random like European country. Okay, you know, no, no offense, Belarus. You know, but like, you know, that would be interesting. What happens if it hits there? We just lost all our uh, all our Belarusians. Be all our Belarusians. It's all right. They're going through a tough time over there, anyways. Yeah. But, but yeah, right like I, I really liked the way that that unfolded, and I really liked the way that again, I really liked the way that. These characters were were smart given and the and the decisions that they made were fueled by smart writing. Because going all the way from at the beginning, when they're trying to get on the, the military airplanes and they forget their son's insulin. So Gerard Butler goes back to get it, and like it all makes sense. Like, hey, I got the wristband. Can I go back? And they're like, sure. It's like cool. Like he goes and gets the insulin, he comes back in, he gets back in, like all of that goes fine. But he doesn't realize that his wife and son got pulled to the side because they're not letting any people with, like, terminal illnesses and stuff mm -hmm. like that on board. So he gets on the plane, and they're in some holding room somewhere. And he's like, Dal, my family's on a plane somewhere. A guy sees him holding the insulin and says, how did you get that in? My friend's son got turned away. And then that triggers like, oh, shit, Gerard Butler's like, oh, they might not be on the plane. And that's a legitimate reason for him to get off the sure. plane, you know? And then when she goes back to the truck, she leaves a note and says, we're going to my dad's house. Like, that's what you should do. That's what smart people would do is here's the rally point. There's no way we could possibly connect with each other. So meet at this rally point, you know? Well, and even like when they're in the pharmacy and they start raiding, like... Gets on the ground, tries to crawl out. Like, right. 
She doesn't like grab a bat or like a right. jagged piece of glass and like try to like stab someone with a gun. And the bad guys with there. the guns aren't just like killing people randomly. Like she runs into the guy who's. Yeah, just they did get the old lady. Yeah, but she's in the way. Like she was. <laughs> you gotta imagine that there was stuff. Like, you don't know why she got shot. You just saw that she got shot. You know, um, but but like they were like she's like please like I have a son and the guys just like go. Yeah. You know, there's no benefit to me killing you. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no evil there. I like that the 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 the, the movie, like I said, it shows the worst parts of human nature, the selfishness, you know, and the violence and whatnot. But it doesn't turn people into like Mad Max villains right away. Mm-hmm. You know, even when Roy from The Office um, and his wife, who is I think is played by Hope Davis, yeah. So Hope Davis is in this movie mm-hmm. too. Like they give uh, her the wife and son a ride, and I'm only going to say the wife and son because I just don't have the faith in pronouncing Marina Barakin's name. I don't even know if I'm sure. doing it right. Allison Garrett, you can just call her. There you her go, Allison. Name. Yeah. Um, and when freaking Roy from the office, who I'll just call Roy from the office, he's like, "Don't worry, we'll save your son, but you're going to give me that wristband." Like it's a self-preservation thing, sure, but like. He could have been turned into a psychopath, and it's like I'm gonna kill you and your son, and I'm gonna take the wristbands and stuff like that. And I just, again, I appreciated the the complexity, you know. Well, and you could all of the things that were decided in this film, like you could reasonably see how you got to this point. Like right. you could easily see a dude who's panicked, trying to flee with his wife, right has heard some news, some probably true, some probably not true, of what was going on with the planes, how people were selected. Like, when they first get in the car, they talk about, like, how only, like, rich people were selected. Which, obviously, we learn later, like, isn't true. It was they were selected for their skills and their jobs Mm -hmm. and things like that. And and, um, so I think... Everything you could see how he could realistically be like, okay, like here we go. We've got a kid. They will never deny a kid. Right. This kid's gonna die anyways with his mom. Right. If they don't get on the plane anyways, and they already have been rejected. So like, why don't we? There's a line take of that? logic. Like, there's a line of logic. Like you're not like, oh, that would never happen. Even like you could see like them riding on the truck up to. Uh, up to can well up where were they going no he was they were they were he was taking them north to Lexington. yeah they were going to yeah well they were going to canada they said he was going to drop them off right uh on the way right because they were going north cuz it was on the but way but you could see like people who are pissed about it seeing like oh there's a dude with the wristband like that's our ticket right like you could see that turning into violence like it's not like they're like you looked at me funny or like something like that right like in in that moment of panic, like people do crazy things. Well, and, and so, especially like, all that's realistic. Especially because of the way that they hand out the bracelets. Like it truly is an unobtainable golden ticket. Like the idea is that they send an emergency text message, a presidential alert to your phone mm-hmm. based on, like you said, your profession. So structural engineers, scientists, doctors, you know, doctors, the people like who are gonna be the most like Sorry, you and me, we are screwed. Like they do not give a shit about two people who are working in, in a a tech company on the sales side of things, you know, but 
you like and and the way you get that wristband is you are checking into the plane to leave. Mm-hmm. It's not like that's some place you can go and get it. You get it on the spot. Yeah. So the odds of you running into somebody with that wristband is slim. Sure. And I mean, not for nothing, but you can absolutely see how somebody would be like, you're not a citizen of this country. You don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, that shit has risen higher. I did appreciate there was another thing in this movie. And again, maybe I'm looking too much into it. And you said maybe it's because race relations in this country are a raw nerve or something like that. You know, maybe it's because the studios are making an effort to try and do more diversity and more inclusion and stuff like that. But I, I don't think it should go unnoticed that every helpful person in this movie is a person of color or a woman mm-hmm. and every like quote unquote villain. And there's only two villains are both white guys. Sure. Like there's only two, you know, and like you said, like the pilots at the end of the movie, they're white, but they are Canadian. It's true. Um, <laughs> but like the, the two people who give them rides are Spanish. Um, the, uh, the soldier who helps the boy is I think Spanish. Mm-hmm. The nurse who helps them is uh, is a woman, um, and like even the the one um, person in army leadership, the major or the captain or whatever, like she's an African American woman, and she shows sympathy, but she can't help him. You know? Yeah, well, and then you've got the guy on the truck who tells him about Canada and the plane going right. there. You've Black got guy, the the guy in the store, the store who yes, he is with the people looting the right the pharmacy, <laughs> and he does have a shotgun, but he also Let's let's them let's go. them go. Um, you even have uh, the one who initially pulls uh, Allison out of the line to go find the son. Right, is is a black person. That's so- true, exactly. And it's something like again, I appreciate that, and it should be appreciated. Like I'm not threatened as a white person that that is what it is. Well, I, I just think that like I I thought it was a nice. Subtle touch that I picked up on, and I, I I hope that I don't ruin it for anybody by pointing it out. Sure. But but I do think it was a really nice subtle touch about the way that they did that and the way that they cast those characters. I thought it was a nice touch that none of the military people were like these evil or overbearing military people. Oftentimes they were very helpful. Um, there were really only two instances, three instances, excuse me, of like the worst of humanity. You know, when they're robbing the store, the freaking rednecks on the truck, and then the Roy from the office being a total shitbird. Mm-hmm. But other than that, people are very helpful, giving rides, offering assistance. It really is a little bit more hopeful. And I, I like that. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, now, you brought up – so the movie ends with them – Literally, they cut that shit close Mm -hmm. where the plane crashes in Greenland and they run like a mile to the to the base. Mm -hmm. And I also liked that they didn't turn them away. It's like you're here. Clearly not everybody who was supposed to be here is here. Well, yeah, clearly like three planes blew up with the gasoline. (laughs) Exactly. Like literally like hundreds of people died. And I just like like we don't care. Like we're here to save you. You know, we are here to get you into these underground bunkers and shut them down. I really liked how they were close together at the end. And then everything goes black. 
And then suddenly, like, the radios, you hear the radios, like, this is the Helsinki station, this is the Greenland station. Doors open, it's nine months later, the ash has fallen. A nine-mile-wide comet, whatever, asteroid, winds up hitting, like, in the Mediterranean Sea somewhere, basically, Mm -hmm. between Africa and Europe. And obliterates almost everything. But they open up the doors, everything is ash, all the cities are burnt to a crisp, um... And they see two birds. Mm-hmm. Life has survived. And they set it up to where it's like 75% of all life is going to be extinct. That's not 100%. No. Nope. 75%. Um, I also appreciated how they didn't do the black screen nine months later. Right. They just incorporated it into what you were hearing. Yeah. It's like, been a long nine months underground. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, do, kind of I do appreciate that. That's just some good writing as well. Mm-hmm. I do. You. I, I'll let you bring up what you brought up, which is... Disaster movies like these, particularly with comments, mm-hmm. right? Like, most of them aren't just, well, there's one big comment. Most yeah. of them, like, you look at Armageddon. Armageddon opens with New York getting peppered. Yep. You know, it has Paris get hit by a small one. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Deep Impact has one big comet, but they blow off a small one that hits the Atlantic and, like, wipes out, you know, the eastern seaboard and whatever. But for the most part, everyone's okay. This does the same thing where this has the initial comet that hits Tampa, big Yeah, hit. which was like the size of a football field, I think. Size of a foot, yeah, size of a football stadium. And then throughout the movie, you see various other debris falling through the sky, almost like the northern lights, but like just on fire and mm-hmm. falling. And then there's that whole scene when they're driving up, they're like in upstate New York and there's molten rain where it's just, again, they're getting peppered. It's this whole action sequence or whatever. But you brought up an interesting question, which is like, how does that work? Yeah. So I feel like if a comet was coming towards the Earth, there couldn't be like 12 hours or even in this case, it was like 24 hours worth of debris and and that in meteors coming down. Right. Uh, now, if it was like a meteor shower and there was lots of them, then maybe that's a different case. But it feels like always in movies, it's like you work up from like a tiny one up to a big one. And I feel like that would work in reverse in reality that you would have a big one that comes. Yeah. And kind of debris and things that broke off on its way to the earth would kind of slowly come in after, and there would be small ones that continue to hit after it. Right. And, um, and we should have probably... I pull, I just pulled up the article that's like, what is a meteor shower? Maybe we should have done a little bit more research Right, exactly. Here. But it doesn't feel like it makes sense. Like, as a comet gets closer to the sun, some of its icy surface boils off, releasing lots of particles and dust and rock. The comet debris gets strewn out along the comet's path, especially the inner solar system where we live. Then several times each year, as Earth makes its journey around the sun, the orbit crosses with the orbit of the comet, which means Earth smacks into a bunch of comet debris. But, like, again, it's the timing. Sure. Would these comet debris be 36 hours away from the comet? Maybe. I don't know. Well, and I feel like, regardless, this would have to be, like, it would have to be, like, a meteor shower. Right. So like multiple ones for us to get what happened in this movie, because if it was one just cruising off kind of the coast of the earth or the atmosphere of the earth and it was just dropping fragments the whole time. Yeah. Like that still wouldn't last for 24 hours. So I feel like we would have to have 
you know, this this would probably happen in reality in reverse. You would have gotten maybe a small one initially, but that would be like its own comet and then followed up by the big one. And then after the big one hit, like small ones continued to come down right, after it. Right. But so I feel like that would be like over the course of maybe a couple hours, not 24 hours. That's the biggest thing because because here, number one, I love that the Wikipedia article says like most of the state goes up as well. Just no respect for Florida. Mm. About as about the same level of respect. No, I'm not going to go there. Well, you, we're you gonna, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to temper that down. You do see at the end, it kind of does like an earth view and you like see where view. those craters were. And you see Florida Florida's is missing done. about like 50% it's, it's like of cut its cut in state. half yeah. with a crater. I yeah. did like that shot at the end because it looked like the moon's surface. Sure. You know, it had all these pot shots of big, huge craters. Yeah. And it had the one big one that was still like burning in like the Atlantic somewhere, wherever that hit. But like, I'll listen, credit where credit's due. The, the Wikipedia says, and I might, might not have caught this, right? And maybe I didn't catch this because I wasn't in a movie theater. I don't know. Could be. But... Might have been in the bathroom. It says I might have been in the bathroom. It says that his neighbor mentions that Clark actually isn't one big comet. It's a cluster. It's a cluster Mm. of objects, a giant cluster of objects that are going to hit over the next two days. So the question of time is still there. Mm -hmm. You know, would this cluster of objects be so big that the first ones could hit? And the last one doesn't hit for two days. Is that possible? I don't know. Neither of us are astrophysicists. I also feel like if it was a cluster of objects, they would have taken it a little bit more serious. Because, yes, you could say, like, we're tracking this one and it's going to hit the ocean. Right. But if with the amount of pieces we saw in this, that wasn't like one, like, it would have been impossible to predict that every single piece it's going to hit the ocean. And yes, right. you could say like a lot of times there's plenty of meteors or that that hit the earth, but they're small and they, right. you know, the atmosphere takes care of them or they, you know, are pretty much dust when they right. get into the. Yeah. But at the same time, like I feel like if it was a giant cluster of stuff like what we get, even if it was going to hit the ocean, like you got to have a little bit more uh, expectations. And, yeah. and I guess they hint at it throughout the movie that. Maybe the government knew it was going to be this bad, and they they were just hiding it because otherwise it would be mass hysteria. And I like that they don't answer that question either. Like, there's there's enough wiggle room to where it's just like, listen, it doesn't matter. Like, this is happening. Yeah, you got Um, enough of the behind the scenes of the military, like tracking it, right, to feel informed. But we didn't like suddenly go to the White House and hear the president talking to people about what we're going to do to handle this. Exactly. You only get it from hearsay from people who are reading it on their phones or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you get that brief moment where we see the military working at the air force base where they're Mm -hmm. loading up the planes, but that's because our characters are there. Yep. You know? So overall, like, again, I love this stuff. Like sign me up every time. Like you give me a, you want to give me another movie, Gerard Butler facing a, a disaster of some kind. I'm in. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to, I'm glad we got to watch it. I'm glad we got to participate and talk about it. Um, and I am super glad that next week we are going to get to talk about Wonder Woman 1984, which is probably, I mean, depending on how you feel about Tenet, probably the biggest release of the year, right at the end. 
Um, so really excited for that. Before we go, I want to remind you all again that you can get free episodes of this podcast just by hitting subscribe. Wherever you listen to podcasts, hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, share us with all of your other good movie buddies out there. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of an independent podcast. Consider helping us out as we talk and spread our love of movies by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time talking Wonder Woman 1984 on The Popcorn Diet. Adios.